0: I'm very pleased to be welcoming Pam Smy into the Reading Corner today. Pam is a highly regarded illustrator and writer whose work includes uh, a range of illustration, including Conan Doyle's The Hound of the Baskerville, right to Julia Donaldson's Follow the Swallow. She's also illustrated novels by Linda Newbury, uh, two of our favourites, Lobb and The Brocken Spectre. Her first novel, Thornhill, was shortlisted for the Waterstone Children's Book Prize, the Kate Greenaway Medal, and was awarded the British Book Design and Production Award for Graphic Novels. Pam is also Senior Lecturer Practitioner in Illustration on the MA Children's Book Illustration at the Cambridge School of Art. And today we're going to be talking about Pam's second novel, The Hideaway, published by Pavilion. Pavilion. Home is not a safe place for Billy. For years, he's tried to be invisible and shut out the domestic abuse that his mum suffers at the hands of her controlling partner. But everyone has their tipping point and Billy has reached his. At the start of the novel, The Hideaway, he's preparing to run away and his hideaway is a pillbox in a cemetery. At the end of All Souls Lane. First of all, welcome, Pam. Hi, hey, I wondered if we could start there at this cemetery at the end of All Souls Lane, because I know that this is local to you. Yes, yes. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Um, it's a, a graveyard down a, a very short alleyway just off of a, one of the main roads into Cambridge. And I walk my dog there in the mornings and um, I get to see that space in, especially in the autumn and winter time. It's very dark and I'm going out very early in the morning and I find it a calm and magical place to visit. And that particular graveyard called the Ascension Burial Ground is full of well-known Cambridge academics and notable people, none of which I know anything about except for there is this one poem um, engraved onto the wall of the graveyard by Francis Cornford. And it's about um, All Souls Night and walking past that on a daily basis and then squeezing past the pillbox to get into the field beyond. Those two particular elements were the inspiration for the story.
0: The lane that leads to it is called All Souls Lane, isn't it? Yes, it is, yes. And the poem is All Souls Night, um, which I believe was a kind of favourite of Philip Larkin as well. I heard that, yes. Yeah, that him and his um, mistress used to read it, and apparently on every All Souls Night, after he died, she would read that poem.
1: Wow. I'm I'm not a great poetry reader at all, uh, but there is something very tender about it and that that sense of having a a love that endures uh, and is non-judgmental so that Mm. at this one point you can be reunited with the person that you really cared about. I find it very touching. You talked about walking the graveyard
0: and when I read about the way that you created Thornhill that Mm -hmm. was similar, that was also out walking and passing a building. How important is walking to you, to your creativity and do you actually
1: draw while you walk? Yeah, it is really important to me. And not the act of walking itself, but the thinking of story based on place it is important. And seeing an environment or a building that has some kind of resonance that I've become interested in, thats kind of sparks the, the beginning of story. And I think it's more I'm not a great walker. I don't go hiking or none of any of those things. It just happens to be that I have a dog and makes me leave the house. And it is that thing of being away from the desk and away from the emails. And if I'm stuck being out with the dog is where all of my ideas will begin to flow. It's not come. It doesn't come from sitting in in the quiet and trying to work things out. It's it's getting up and and being outside. And that will apply not just to to writing for me, but for image making as well. when I'm walking the dog, I'm often imagining I'm drawing through a sketchbook page. So even though I'm not physically there with a, a, a dip pen in my hand, trying to work something out, I think about it in the way that I would be approaching it if it was. And somehow the act of being outside and um, makes that flow much more easily for me. I used to take sketchbooks with me much more often than I I do now. So when I was when I first saw the building that inspired Thornhill. I did have my sketchbook in my backpack and I did whip it out and and draw that building. Um, But I don't tend to take one with me when I'm out walking the dog in the mornings. So I don't necessarily draw to get the inspiration. But once I had decided on this graveyard and these places for the hideaway, I then went back and did drawing there and not Mm -hmm. just in that graveyard, but in a few others around Cambridge. So I was gathering information that I then fed back into the book. Um, And some of the sketches I made are directly from sketches I made in All Souls Graveyard, in Ascension Ground Graveyard. Um, The chapel that's there is directly there. The line of trees from the field beyond is taken from a drawing based on that actual place. Um, The pillbox itself, which you can't see because it's overgrown, that's based on an actual drawing on location. But it's a hybrid between using those um, sketches as, as a starting point Mm. And then sort of building on it from imagination, mostly.
0: Mm. So how do we get from a poem in a graveyard to a story about Billy Mm. and his
1: mum? How did those threads come together? I think that poem about being reunited with your loved one is one element, was really strong and powerful for me. And I do love a ghost story. So there is that sense that, it's a, it's a poem that that can refer to the afterlife in that sense so so that was one strand the other thing was that pillbox that I'm walking past it is overgrown and, and covered up and you my husband also walks walks the dog through through that and he didn't know it was there so for me it's that sense of well who would it's a great den to have that that sense of being able to hide in a hidden place um and that for me made me think oh well, a bit like fawn hill really who who would be there and why and if you're gonna be hanging out in a pillbox on the edge of a graveyard you've got to you've got to have some stuff going on to think that's a good idea in any way mm-hmm. and then why would you want to be there or need to be there and that made me think about billy's story and, and his mum grace and then that's that sense of them actually being very devoted to each other but being separated themselves from each other because of their circumstances and therefore really that thread of the story n- needing to be about the two of them needing to be reunited hmm. and then there's that separate strand from the poem about being reunited with with someone you've lost so for me they it was like a the past represented by the poem and the pillbox and billy's story and why he might be there being the present and an actual physical need to be somewhere. And and that's really how those two elements began to feed into the story. Grace's story I found
0: incredibly vivid and compelling. And um, I was interested in why you chose the split narrative. Maybe it's an obvious one because they are separated (laughs) from each other. But was it always going to be told in that way?
1: yeah it's something i'm really interested in in the films i watch or or when i'm reading novels when you're cutting between one storyline and another and that sense that there are um can be similarities and parallels between reality as i imagine it and the supernatural you know or or fantasy or whatever so i'm always interested in how you can have two different storylines or more and how you can find echoes between the two or parallels so so that's something I just I enjoy a lot and I think as well I wanted to be able to explore those real life situations that that are really pertinent for some young people and some households it, it, and, and we've heard that during the pandemic how um the domestic violence rates have grown tragically grown and so having that as a as a difficult thing to process for Billy and for his mum is one thing. And I think that thing of then having a, a separate element, the separate storyline where mm. there is the graveyard story and quite what happens there mm. is a way of softening, I think is the wrong word, but packaging some of that um, and, and exploring some of the, the dilemmas that Billy may have while he's in the graveyard and some of the echoes there may be with the old chap he meets there and his Mm. previous life story.
0: I was also aware when reading it that the obvious hideaway is Billy's hideaway, the pillbox in the cemetery, but actually his mother is hiding away. She's invisible basically to her community. And it seemed to me that that title reflect both strands of that narrative
1: yes and I think for me I think that was really key and it's something that I had I a wonderful editor called Alice Corrie and she picked that up from the very first time I sent an early draft of the manuscript is that you have the Billy is hiding away there is the physical hideaway of the pillbox um, but actually that that sense of the situation's that may well be going on all around us are invisible quite often and that this thing of coercive control that it it works and abuser can get away with it because it's really hard to speak openly and um, about it and that society just would rather look away mm-hmm. um, and that necessarily those it's very hard to get find those safeguards and to make changes because the situation is so bleak so so, yes, I think that thing of um, Grace being in a community where you would think you might know everybody in a cul-de-sac when actually um, there can be these, these stories going on behind closed doors that, that we just don't get to see and that, mm. that it is a hidden life that she mm. is having to face mm. and Billy has had to face with her.
0: Mm. Even the neighbour, the new neighbour, who suspects that something is going on once she meets the partner and he's so affable. She starts to. There are questions: Was I right about that,
1: or not? Yeah. And actually, when it in a, when I first wrote it, I was quite a few drafts in, and I had written the character of uh, Jeff as much more dominant and physically present. And I actually had a wonderful um, advisor called Amanda, Amanda Warburton, who works with uh, people who are suffering from domestic violence in the Cambridge and Peterborough area and she read the manuscript and said this this actually isn't true it's 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 easy to think that it's it's somebody with a physical bullying presence but quite often abusers are absolutely charming and the last person you would expect to be evoking such misery in their own homes um, because they they can switch just you know as as Jeff does to the when people come to the door he can be affable and charming and all of those things and the moment the door is shut and it's just him and Grace and Billy the circumstances can be very different. Mm. There's also uh,
0: I suppose a sense in which the title can relate to the lives of the people in the graves because we do learn that actually there were things about their lives that possibly people didn't know when they were alive
1: <laughs> yes uh, each each gravestone when you go to a graveyard i think is like a little story in itself and you can be there and guessing what the life would be of reverend partridge who who is there in the um, graveyard i walk through imagine well if you if you are a reverend who would you want to be reunited with and why would you want to and also i'm just so acutely aware that, that society is is changing so swiftly and that we are happily and that, that we're living in a very liberal society, but that hasn't always been the case. And so m- many of these people may well have had very different circumstances and different stories, and they may have had to conceal th- their true selves or or who they were most in love with and, mm. and most wanted to be with. And so being able to depict that in some way was was quite important.
0: Yeah. Just um, one thing that I want to ask you before we move on to some other aspects of the story, uh, because we're talking about graves and, and what-ifs mm-hmm. and the storytelling potential. There's one there in the memory of William Wing, 1881 to 1918. I think the minute we see 1918 on a gravestone, we do start to think about First World War. And then we go on and his it's his wife, Clara Wing, 1884 to 1918. And their children, Ernest, 1903 to 1904, so child mortality. Arthur, 1905 to 1906, the same. And then Stanley, Gilbert, Kathleen and Joyce, who were all suddenly called away 1918. And then we're thinking
1: Spanish flu. Well spotted. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, um, So these are actual uh, people. I I don't know their gravestones but that they were told to me as a as a family who who did haunt a house here in Cambridge and so I wanted to um, include them and I started illustrating this story the week before we went into the first lockdown and we all know how how we have felt in this last year and so I did want to make a nod to the fact that we are living through this terrible pandemic and this has happened before. But back then it must have been absolutely terrifying. And so, yes, I did um, change those dates to to make a nod towards the pandemic. And the other thing is, if you're hanging out in graveyards, it is that thing about how many children did used to pass really, at a really young age Mm -hmm. and how you can map the kind of family tragedy against against
0: those mm. dates okay. um i want to uh, switch to thinking about the storytelling through image as well as mm-hmm. through text and there's part of this story uh, that is told exclusively through pictures as, as we get towards the end of the story there's about 20 pages or so where there are no words um mm-hmm. at all and i don't want to say too much about it because i do want people to enjoy that reveal that they will have at that point in the story but i'm interested in the decisions around moving to entirely pictures at that point
1: i had conceived of that passage of images right at the outset of the book and for me it was the image gives us a chance i hope to experience as much as what Billy would be experiencing at that moment, and for the the noise of the the thinking through things and the and the conversation, the dialogue, and all those things, if they drop away and you're you're just watching images and things unfold before you, um, I'm hoping that it 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 would drop you into that. Sequence in that situation a bit more intensely than if it was just described in words.
0: Because what was interesting to me is that there were words there, but the words were coming from me. They might not have been the words that you would have put in there. They might not have been in the order, but there were definitely words in my head as I was reading.
1: Oh, that's great. That's that that makes me happy, Nikki. Um, (laughs) That's the case. And yes, and I did buy. Who I included in that sequence wanted to hint at stories, you know, that you might have a sense of different relationships that may be happening over time. And some of them are latterly referred to in the text and some of them aren't. They're just standalone. You've given us some of the language You know, if we've read the book closely,
0: you've given us some of the language to think about those images when we get to them. So I was quite interested in the decision about the text that came afterwards, because that text does explain the pictures to a large degree. And I wondered, again, just about thought processes and why you thought that that was perhaps needed.
1: Yes, I did actually write the manuscript first and then even though I had conceived of having this image section, I felt that the book hadn't been set up in the same way as Thornhill, where you, hopefully after you've got into a few chapters, you understand what the pattern is that you're reading, and who and why you're reading it. This is a standalone image sequence, and therefore having some affirmation, reaffirmation of what it is you've seen and, and what it meant, I felt was important rather than taking that out of the manuscript.
0: I mean, those pictures, uh, those illustrations are obviously uh, very narrative-driven, and uh, there are other images throughout the text that are strong on narrative. There are also those that are not. You know, there's sort of foliage and um, spiders' webs and so on. And those can be the pictures that sometimes we overlook or they get classed as decorative. And I actually feel that they're more than decorative.
1: It's a really really interesting thing. And as as a tutor of illustration, I would always try and describe illustration as being something that illuminates and adds to the text or gives you a different perspective on on what it is you're reading um, in some way, rather than echoing. And for me, those images where you're not seeing Apart part of the narrative but you are seeing branches or overgrown gravestones or some of the creatures that live in the graveyard mm. it's much more about giving a sense of the atmosphere of that place and all souls is very very overgrown and is a tangle so I wanted to give a sense that it wasn't necessarily a, a tamed place
0: mm.
1: and that nature is is really strong and powerful and adds to that kind of sense of otherness from the clean and tidy cul-de-sac that, that Billy and Grace mm-hmm. have been living in and so I, I, I really wanted those uh, images hopefully to be beautiful I, I spent a lot of time on the ones that I don't necessarily have aren't explaining a bit of the narrative or, or showing something that's going on for Billy but that might give a sense of what it feels like when I'm walking through that graveyard in the mornings mm. and, and how it might be a, a different kind of environment to some of the more mm. uh, manicured cemeteries we we may pass mm.
0: through. Mm. And now something strikes me, and I don't know if I'm right or wrong, are there any illustrations in Grace's
1: part of the story? No. No. no so, so Grace's part of the story is in one font is in a, a sans serif font and it's text only and mm. then the passages that are about billy in the graveyard are in a different font and they are heavily illustrated
0: oh that's interesting just stop me i don't Again? think seen, i don't think i saw any illustration <laughs> no, on that no. bit. i clearly didn't um, i want to talk a little bit about the technique that you've used in this book because it's, it's similar to thornhill Mm-hmm. I think it's it's yep. very different to the the drawings in um lob or yep. uh, the Brocken spectre yep. I know that you like ink and yep. dip pens yep. um and I know that you like using emulsion paint yep. and I'm guessing that both of these are in this it looks yep. to me like you've used both of these in yep. these images here can you tell us a little bit in your words
1: how you went about this particular set of pictures and what choices you made and why over time I have used predominantly pen and ink dip pen and ink and line work and when I did Thornhill I wanted there to be a tonal range um, so that the light you might have a little bit more drama and yet I'm really embarrassed by some of the bad line work in Thornhill and and so when I started on the hideaway I thought I really want to be very judicious about when I use line and have the emulsion paint do most of the shape telling of the story through shapes and that the pen and ink work where there is some is much lighter so it, it, it doesn't feature as, as heavily at all and also in the hideaway I wanted to use much more white
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in terms of the paint itself or drawing with with white gel pens and um, white ink um, so that there is that extra element that hopefully is then emphasized in the final sequence. So
0: what it gives it is a luminosity your ghosts can be dark figures or they can be these very almost like figures of light. And I thought what was really interesting was the re- I don't know if there was if this was intentional or not, but the reflection of the night sky and the stars in the night sky with your dots of light around the ghosts. I thought that all just came together to just make the whole thing
1: feel like light. Uh thank you yes and it is it's really that that sense of um light or luminosity and again it goes back to the hands of asphalt doesn't it i suppose with that with the hound being covered in phosphorus um to make it look spooky for me it's it's very important that there is that that sense of of how you can manipulate light and tone tone to represent light and and how it can in this story in particular it can represent solidity of the everyday world and also something more transient um or magical hopefully
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: other thing just about light is just just to go back to the, the actual physical place is that um in the story and again I had written it in but that that they at some point their little jars of candles are are throughout the graveyard and one year and it has it only happened once and it was bet- after I'd written the manuscript and before I'd finished illustrating I went round the graveyard in the early hours of the morning after Halloween. And somebody had put jars of candles and lit them. So in the in the very early morning light, there were still these flickering um, night lights. We have left lots for readers
0: to discover themselves, but I have one question, and that is that there's a dog in this story. Is it your dog? Oh no, I've put my
1: dog Barney <laughs> or my dogs in all my other illustrations. So you'll find my dog in Brock Inspector, and copping um, up in Lob, and he's lost in Thornhill. But this dog, Rufus, is actually my friend's dog. And I thought I just, I can't, um, I can't put Barney in it again.
0: Oh, Pam, thank you so much for talking to me about The Hideaway today. Uh, It's a book I'll be returning to and rereading for sure. So thank you so much. Thank you for being interested in it. It's really great.
1: In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.